Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 538 for the 9th of April, 2017. This week, although you might have to buy a new phone if you switch to Google's Project Fi, the benefits could justify the cost. The Windows 10 Creators Update will be pushed out to computers starting on Tuesday. Maybe you'd like to delay the update or get it sooner. You might be able to do either, and I'll explain how. In short circuits, hackers say they have credentials for 300 million iCloud accounts. And while that seems unlikely, it does pave the way for other crooks. Intel has completed the spin-off of McAfee after buying the company for more than $7.5 billion just six years ago. And in spare parts, only on the website, lithium-ion batteries pack much more power than their predecessors, but they can burst into flame. Researchers are looking for a better option. Ratings firm Nielsen says it'll be using artificial intelligence to give online advertisers clearer pictures of internet users. And would you buy your next car from a chatbot? One might be involved in the deal, you might not even notice. Fee-fi-fo-fum. Google skipped over Fee, launched Project Fi. It's a different kind of mobile service. So different that it is associated with three mobile carrier networks, uses Wi-Fi when it can, and will probably require you to buy a new phone. The week I started using Google Fi, I mentioned it here and said I would have a more complete evaluation later. After nearly three months, it's time. Let's start with the requirement to buy a new phone. You won't have to if you already own a Nexus 5X, a Nexus 6P, or a Pixel phone. But those are the only phones that work with the service. That's primarily because the phone needs to be capable of switching from one carrier to another or to use Wi-Fi when it's available. So depending on which signal offers the best connection, the phone will use T-Mobile, Sprint, U.S. Cellular, or an acceptable Wi-Fi connection. A Project Fi phone connects to free open Wi-Fi networks that do not require any action to get connected, for example, entering a password, watch an ad, or check in. Now, that may sound dangerous because what's being described is an open Wi-Fi hotspot, and I constantly warn you that you need to set up a virtual private network whenever you're on that kind of connection. Well, Google thought about that. When the phone connects through an open Wi-Fi network, a secure VPN connection is established automatically. Because Project Fi uses Wi-Fi whenever possible, you might even see a significant drop in your data usage. Previously, I had a T-Mobile account that allowed for just 500 megabytes of data per month. To avoid going over that limit, I rarely used the phone's data capabilities, and my monthly usage was in the 200 to 400 megabyte range. Having switched to Project Fi, I use the phone for a lot more, many more data operations than in the past, but my data usage has actually dropped. Project Fi has an unusual pricing model, too. 
$20 per month for unlimited phone calls and text messages and $10 per gigabyte for data. You have to buy that in $10 chunks. If you don't use all of the data, though, you'll see a refund on next month's bill. In my case, the $30 plan is more like $23 a month, which is about half what I paid T-Mobile for a lot less. And should I have a month during which I use more than my allotted 1,000 megabytes of data? The extra data will just be billed in the following month. The phones are designed to use Wi-Fi whenever they can. But what happens if you make a phone call from your home or office on Wi-Fi and then leave the building? Project Fi is supposed to transition the call to a cellular network if one is available, and so far that seems to be working as advertised. Using three cellular networks probably doesn't increase the number of locations where a signal will be available, at least not greatly, because most of the providers have similar coverage areas. If you compare a Project Fi coverage map to a map for any other provider, you'll generally see coverage in and around major cities and highways with large open areas in the west. The primary advantage to this scheme seems to be that any of the three mobile carriers might have a better signal in one specific location. Google Fi should select the one with the best signal. I have a couple of images on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week that show coverage. In the central part of the country, Chicago on the west, Pittsburgh on the east, Louisville on the south, there is nearly continuous coverage. Cities blanketed with 4G signals, and most of the remaining area has 3G signals. Only a few small areas are limited to 2G, and in very limited cases, no coverage at all. Those who choose the Pixel phone will have a long payback time. Even with lower monthly fees, it'll be three years or more but monthly savings could offset the cost of a Nexus 5X in about two years. The Pixel is the first phone built for Project Fi, and it's priced accordingly. It comes in two sizes and with two memory capacities. The smaller phone with 32 gigabytes of memory is $650. The larger phone with 128 gigabytes of memory, $870. I chose the larger phone, but the smaller memory. The Pixel runs on a Qualcomm Snapdragon 821 CPU with an Adreno 530 GPU. The display on the XL, that's the one with the slightly larger screen, has a resolution of 2560 by 1440 pixels. The rear camera creates a 12.3 megapixel image. It's capable of capturing 4K video at 30 frames a second. The front camera, the one facing the user, creates 8 megapixel images. It can also capture HD video at 30 frames a second. Perhaps it's worth noting that images taken with either of the Pixel's cameras, as well as screenshots, are synchronized at full resolution to your Google Drive account. And those images don't count against your Google Drive data limit. The phone is filled with sensors. Pixel Imprint, that's a back-mounted fingerprint sensor for fast unlocking. An accelerometer, gyroscope, magnetometer, that measures the Earth's magnetic fields. Barometer, proximity sensor, ambient light sensor. A hall sensor, that's a transducer that varies its output voltage in response to a magnetic field. An Android app is available to show what the sensors are reading. Perhaps as Spock might have said on Star Trek, fascinating. The phone also has three microphones, two face the front, one faces the rear. This allows for noise cancellation circuitry to reduce background noise. The Pixel imprint is undoubtedly the most frequently used of the sensors 
touching a finger to the sensor that's on the back of the phone usually unlocks it. The primary exception to this seems to be when the phone has been rebooted. Then the user needs to input the personal identification number. Like most current phones, the user can't open the case to replace the battery. When the battery dies, you'll need to have the phone serviced professionally or learn how to take the phone apart yourself. There's a video on the web that shows how to do this. That video also clearly illustrates why, when my phone needs a new battery, I'll be letting a professional do it. Disappointingly, there is no micro XD slot for extra memory. Power and data connections, though, use the new USB 3 slot. That's a plus because rotation of the plug no longer matters. It plugs in whichever way you have it. Some odd differences might confuse your muscle memory if you've been using an Android phone or tablet. Instead of being part of the hardware, the buttons at the bottom of the screen are built into the user interface. When an application runs full screen, you might need to swipe up from the bottom to reveal those buttons. The order of the buttons is unusual, too. On most Android devices, the button that displays recent applications is on the left, and the button to go back a step is on the right. They are reversed on the Pixel. Copying data from an existing Android phone to a Pixel is far easier than it has any right to be. A cable comes with a phone so that you can connect your other phone, and turning the Pixel on for the first time runs through the guided process that's essentially goof-proof. If you can't connect the phone using the cable, you can also use Wi-Fi to link them, but using the cable makes the process much faster, in my case about 15 minutes. Another task that turned out to be much easier than expected, porting a number from T-Mobile to Google. When I ordered the phone, I was offered a form to fill out. It contained the information needed to switch the service from one provider to another. When the phone arrived and I activated it, the final step involved submitting the information from the form I'd filled out a week or so earlier. The phone then reminded me that the porting process can take more than a day. But the phone told me it was ready to make and receive calls in less than an hour. So the bottom line for the Google Fi project, I have to give them five cats. If you're happy with your current cellular provider, there's no reason to look elsewhere. But if you feel like you're paying too much, the data plan is too small or not flexible enough, or you just want to upgrade your phone, Project Fi is worth investigating. You'll find additional details on the Google Project Fi website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Microsoft will start pushing the Creator's update out to users on April 11th, this coming Tuesday. This is a major update, and you might want to delay it for a while. Enterprise users won't receive the update for four months, and if your computer runs Windows 10 Pro, not the Home Edition, but Pro, you can enable the same delay, if you want to. The Creator's update has been well tested by the Windows Insider program users, but it's also quite likely that some bugs will slip through. The anniversary update had been well tested too, but some systems went into a continuous reboot cycle, and some hardware devices were essentially rendered inoperative until Microsoft could push out patches. The Insider program has some 10 million participants, but that's still a very small number of actual Windows users. I've been running the Creator's Update on a secondary computer and have seen no problems. 
The secondary computer, though, is a mainstream system. Problems are most common with systems that have unusual hardware that might not have been seen in testing. That's actually both the beauty and the beast of Windows. Individual users can connect hundreds of thousands of individual devices to their computers, but with extreme flexibility comes the potential for problems. If your computer runs Windows 10 Home, delaying the update is not an option. However, once Windows Home users have the Creator's Update installed, they will have some limited options to delay future updates. And despite the fact that the rollout begins on Tuesday, not all computers will be updated on the same day. Microsoft typically manages the process to avoid overloading servers and also probably to monitor for any potentially serious issues. Those who want to speed the process can obtain the update right now, even if you're not in the Windows Insider program. Just use the Update Assistant tool. And if you have a Windows 10 phone, don't expect to see the Creator's Update there until sometime after April 25th. So if you want to delay the Creator's Update for a while, here's how. And again, this works only with Windows 10 Pro. First, find out whether you have Windows 10 Home or Pro. Open Settings and scroll to the bottom of the list, then click About. The Edition entry will specify which edition is on the computer, Home or Pro. If you have the Pro Edition and you want to delay the Creator's Update, return to the main Settings panel, choose Updates and Security. Then click Advanced Options at the bottom of the panel and select Defer Feature Updates. This will stall the Creator's version for four months. You will still receive security updates, though. But maybe you want to make sure you get the Creator's Update as soon as you can. Well, you can get it right now if you want. The Update Status screen will now have some additional information about how to get it sooner. Early in this past week, there was a link that said, click this link, and when you clicked it, it would tell you that when the update is ready for your device, you'll receive a notification. Oh, and you'll also be invited to join the Windows Insider program at that point. But then late in the week, Microsoft added a new link to the Windows 10 update. In addition to finding that link on your Windows 10 computer, you'll find it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. On Thursday, I ran the Creator's Update on the Surface tablet. The process completed in about half an hour, and as with the secondary notebook the update's been running on for about a week, I encountered no problems. Given two successes, I'll probably update my main computer and my wife's computer before Monday. On the first boot following the update, Microsoft Edge will open to display information about new features, and Microsoft will continue to do everything possible to convince you to switch from whatever browser you're using to Edge. In short circuits, hackers say they have access to 300 million iCloud user accounts, and they say they'll delete the data if Apple doesn't pay $100,000. The so-called Turkish crime family made the claim, but the number of accounts varies. They've also claimed more than 500 million accounts. What they actually have is probably quite a bit lower. And this whole thing is going to play out in the coming week. Crooks gave Apple until Friday, April 7th to pay up, the results won't be known until after this week's program closes. Apple has been skeptical, and various groups that have investigated the claims suggested that the breach, if it existed at all, 
is considerably smaller than claimed. The group had threatened to delete data from some of the accounts on Friday, so this may actually be a high-stakes game of poker. Apple says that its security team found no breaches had affected its systems. Additionally, Apple noted that the email addresses and passwords they've seen appear to have been obtained from previously compromised third-party services. While it appears that the claim of 300 million hacked accounts looks more and more like a simple con job, there is a separate con being played. There has been so much discussion of the supposed attack that certain schemers, probably the same ones that call to say your Windows computer has been compromised, are now in the game. They call pretending to be Apple support. If you happen to get one of these calls, here's my recommendation. It's a three-step program. First, say nothing. Second, hang up. Third, just go on with the rest of your day. Oh, and you really might want to enable two-factor authentication. That's a good safeguard for any data you've stored online. Tech Republic has a useful article that explains how to set up two-factor authentication for Apple accounts, and you'll find a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. McAfee, the formerly independent antivirus maker that was acquired by Intel, is once again an independent company after Intel completed the spin-off of the company that it bought six years ago for more than $7.5 billion. McAfee is used by many large enterprises, more than 60% of the world's largest companies according to some estimates, and revenue is considerably up so far this year. The founder, John McAfee, resigned in 1994 from the company he had founded in 1987 and attempted in 2016 to gain the Libertarian nomination for the presidency, losing to Gary Johnson. McAfee, the company, will concentrate on threat detection, plans to modernize the approach by depending on more artificial intelligence to detect constantly changing threats that can be missed by signature-based approaches. The objective is to intercept threats before they can damage the computer instead of reporting the damage after it happens. Shortly after Intel bought the company, John McAfee was named a person of interest in the death of his neighbor in Belize and was arrested when a gun was found in his car following a drunk driving citation. Intel dropped the McAfee name for a time, but then restored it. McAfee, the person, has filed suit against Intel for using his name. McAfee CEO Chris Young says the spinoff gives the company the agility to unite people, technology, and organizations against our common adversaries and to ensure our technology-driven future is safe. Intel sees positives, too. CEO Brian Krasnich says he offers the new company Intel's full support as they establish themselves as one of the largest pure-play cybersecurity companies in the industry. The term pure play means the company focuses on a particular product or activity instead of multiple interests. Well, you can focus on multiple interests in spare parts, only on the website. This week, lithium-ion batteries pack much more power than their predecessors, but they can burst into flame. Researchers are looking for better options. Ratings firm Nielsen says it'll be using artificial intelligence to give online advertisers clearer pictures of Internet users. 
And would you buy your next car from a chatbot? One might be involved in the deal, and you possibly wouldn't even notice. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.